Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. But it's about more than just saving you money. It's an easy to use app that gets you into the game. With two quick taps, you can be checking out with tickets to see the Vikings and Saints play or the Wild or the Twins or the Wolves or whomever you want. Uh, plus you can check out the view from the seats while on the app. And now, GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account. Then, under the Billing section, redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year, December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. If you don't run checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Hello and welcome to the Straight Cash Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chad Graff, joined today once again by my colleague on the Vikings beat, Arif Hassan. Arif, what's going on? Uh, Not much. Uh, Just hanging out in Vermont with my family. Oh, back in my old stomping ground, sort of, probably a three-hour drive from from New Hampshire. (laughs) Uh, So we watched Arif yesterday, a very boring game. Uh, the Chicago Bears, I had to even think about this, beat the Minnesota Vikings 21-19, I believe. It was basically all the second stringers. I don't think that was much of a surprise, and and really, I think that was probably the right move. So instead of focusing on that, let's look forward uh, and and just look at what is to come for the Vikings. So because the Seattle Seahawks fell just a couple of inches short on the goal line in Sunday Night Football, Uh, The Vikings now are going to head to what we both had argued was their worst case scenario, which is a wild card game in New Orleans against the Saints. Is this the worst case scenario? Like, how bad is this for the Vikings? (laughs) It's pretty bad in in one sense, but I, I guess in the sense that the goal is to get, you know, to the Super Bowl and win it there. Uh, They were probably going to eventually play the Saints anyway, so... Uh, in in kind of the larger sense, it's not that big a deal. But uh, in the context of like winning that first round, yeah, it's the worst possible matchup they could have. You know, not only is it on the road against a team that's kind of known to have a pretty good home field advantage, but uh, it's it's a team where the quarterback is playing maybe better than he's ever played uh, since returning from injury. Uh, the defense is, uh, you know, high variance. You know, there's some opportunities there, but you know they've been able to create some turnovers. Uh, and and shut some team down. So it eats tough, especially because the matchup in particular is bad. Like it'd be one thing if it was just a good team, but part of the problem is that they're kind of engineered around a wide receiver, Michael Thomas, where the Vikings just don't have, uh, you know, an appropriate response at cornerback. And, you know, the best way the Vikings can respond is with their defensive line. And Drew Brees has the lowest sack rate in the league. You know, he knows how to avoid sacks. You mentioned this being a horrible matchup, so we'll get into all of the ways that this might be a bad matchup for the Vikings. But first, let's start with the quarterback. You mentioned Drew Brees. The guy turns 41 in two weeks. He had a bit of a, he had a thumb injury, I think it was, that kept him out for five games. Teddy Bridgewater came in and, and kept the Saints rolling. He went 5-0 and in his games. 
uh, as a starter. And then Breeze has come back and, and is just rolling. It's really astounding what he's done. 27 touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, he's got 7.9 yards per attempt. It, it really is incredible that when you look around the league, we've seen Aaron Rodgers slow down this season. We've seen the same from Tom Brady. But even as Drew Brees is 40 years old and, and on the verge of 41, he still has it rolling. What have you seen from him? Uh, yeah, well, I think part of it is just uh, how quick and decisive he is out of the pocket. You know, his arm strength hasn't seemed to have died. Um, you know, one of the things with Aaron Rodgers is that, uh, you know, his decision making and accuracy seem to have fallen off a little bit. Don't really know kind of how decision making falls off with age in terms of <laughs> in terms of quarterback play. But that seems to be a problem Whereas Tom Brady. You know, he just doesn't seem to have, you know, deep downfield strength. Uh, and and has kind of always needed someone with a pretty good catch radius like Gronk or, or Randy Moss, uh, and, and he doesn't have that. Whereas Breeze doesn't need any of that. He relies a lot on precision. He uh, has a ton of accuracy. He's been one of the most qu- uh, accurate quarterbacks in the NFL for some time, uh, and uh, he's been, like I said, really quick getting the ball uh, into playmakers' hands, making decisions as soon as the snap uh, happens, and, and, and he's done a really great job kind of diagnosing what he sees in front of him and responding to it appropriately. So he's kind of got nearly the complete package of quarterback. And I say nearly because there's, you know, uh, an element to, to the game in, in the NFL with modern quarterbacks where you maybe have to run the ball a little bit. He doesn't do that as much, but uh, everything else, uh, you know, he's done at a really high level. And I guess uh, just sort of a tangent, it's also amazing that he, I don't think you could ever really make the argument that even in this amazing career that he's had, I don't know that he was ever like the best quarterback in a season, which, you know, perhaps is a product of having, you know, playing at the same time as Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers. But it, it is just sort of funny that that has been the case for Drew Brees. Yeah, there's been some discussion uh, with the NFL 100 out that, uh, you know, Drew Brees wasn't included on that list. And it's kind of an interesting discussion because, you know, you take a look historically at kind of the records he set and, and and all that. And you think, hey, why wouldn't you include him? But, you know, he's been first team all pro once. He's never won the MVP. Like you said, you know, he's never been the top quarterback in the league. And this year, you know, he's having one of the best seasons he's ever had at age 40. And of course, there's no question that he's not an MVP candidate. Uh, it's Lamar Jackson, right? Uh, and, so, you know, the, maybe the best candidate year could have been 2009 when they went nearly undefeated. But, you know, that was, uh, I think that was Brett Favre's year. Uh, you know, 2011, you know, he said you know, he had like a 5,000-year season. A lot of people talked about as an MVP candidate, but Aaron Rodgers happened to put together, you know, the best uh, quarterback season we've seen in a long time. Uh, you know, it's certainly one of history's best quarterback seasons. So, uh, you know, he's his high points have coincided with the high points of a bunch of other quarterbacks. So he's never gotten kind of recognition as the best quarterback in the NFL, nor would I even argue that, you know, of his generation, you know, he's the top quarterback. Right now, you know, you'd say if he's in the generation with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, you know, they'd be ahead of him. Uh, and then kind of Rodgers kind of took over the crown. And now we've got, you know, this new crop with Mahomes and Jackson. You know, it seems like he can never kind of get his due, which is an interesting thing to say about a Hall of Fame lock. Right. But uh, it, it, it does seem to be the case that, uh, you know, this kind of level of play, maybe over like a, a weird different time span, uh, would uh, would have looked, you know, a lot better historically. Uh, that said, you know, for the Vikings, you know, like, none of that really matters. You know, he's playing as if he were an MVP candidate. You know, whether or not he can be an MVP candidate this year is kind of irrelevant to that. And they have to play against that person, right? They don't, 
you know, get to say, well, you know, he's not the best quarterback, so we don't have to worry about him. Uh, it's 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 a weird <laughs> spot for Breeze. It is. And he has an unbelievable target this season. I think, you know, we've all known for a long time that Michael Thomas is a very good wide receiver. But this year, I think he solidified himself as the best wide receiver in the NFL. NFL record 149 catches, put up nine touchdowns, more than 1,700 receiving yards. Just a monster season from Michael Thomas. And I think this is one of the main reasons that this has been such a bad matchup for the Vikings, which is that how in the world do you stop Michael Thomas, which is a hard question for any team to answer, but let alone one like the Vikings that has struggled in the secondary, that has struggled against number one wide receivers. What kind of put, like, is it as simple for the Vikings as saying, we'll put a mixture of, you know, we're not going to just put Rhodes on him and we're always going to have bracket coverage on Michael Thomas, or is it not that simple? How do you look at how in the world the Vikings try to slow down Michael Thomas? What's kind of fascinating about the New Orleans offense and the way they use Michael Thomas is they're not particularly shy about it. They, they're they a very predictable offense. Uh, they don't use a ton of pre-snap motion. They don't use a ton of play action. They don't kind of vary what Michael Thomas does. You know, Ted Ginn goes deep. Michael Thomas plays short. Drew Brees throws to whoever he thinks is open. It's usually <laughs> Michael Thomas. Uh, and and that's it. You know, it's it's not like kind of the Lamar Jackson Baltimore Ravens offense. It's not like the Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid offense. You know, there's not a ton of deception in the offense, and it still just works because their players are better. So like, why bother with all of that? Uh, and with with Thomas, I think the way to stop him. I mean, there's not you know a way to stop him, but for the Vikings, you know, obviously they just can't put a player on him and and call it a day. They don't have someone like a Stephon Gilmore this year or like, you know, a Darrell Revis in the past or even 2017 Xavier Rhodes, you know, they they need to find kind of a couple of ways to do it. And knowing that, you know, Michael Thomas tends to run short and Ted Ginn tends to run deep, you know, they might have an opportunity there. They might just put Trey Waynes on Ted Ginn and have him shadow, which is not something, you know, we've seen a lot. And then just have the other side of the field or whatever area of the field Michael Thomas is on be filled kind of with bracket coverage, you know, maybe put my cues on him because Michael Thomas is more of an inefficient route runner than he is a physical receiver. So my cues might be a better matchup. And then you can have kind of, you know, safety bracket, you know, on top, you can have uh, another corner kind of bracket on the outside and have a linebacker on the inside and just kind of wall off these zones. But I mean, it's asking a lot and it's not as if they don't have other weapons. If you're asking a linebacker to kind of occupy part of the Michael Thomas coverage package, now you don't have a response to Alvin Kamara, right? Who's not been having, you know, the kind of season that we're used to seeing from him, but is still an effective and deadly threat. You know, it's not as if he's the only, you know, opportunity that they have to score points. And, you know, they've been able to get these other receivers involved too uh, and, and and get them to, to be kind of effective threats. It's been kind of confusing for fantasy guys, you know, which guy they <laughs> want to start on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of the Saints offense. So, there are, there are a couple of options available to them, but like any anything else in the NFL, it comes with a cost and kind of how you want to focus your attention. And Drew Brees does target his tight end, Jared Cook, quite a bit, uh, part of the reason that Cook is the second leading receiver on the Saints. You mentioned Alvin Kamara, though, and I think he's a fascinating one, in part because he put up that massive season last season that got everybody excited, got everybody talking to him. And then this season... You know, it's been a good season. He still has more than almost 1,300 total yards from scrimmage. So a good season for him. But, you know, only 797 rushing yards. His, you know, he's still been involved in the passing game. But it just isn't what we saw from a year ago. Is that just because of the way the offense is working? Or is there something else you see with Alvin Kamara? Is he still as dangerous as he was a year ago? 
I think the offense has shifted a little bit. I just think that the way that they've designed, and they design the offense a little bit differently every year. Um, what's interesting is he has about the same number of targets uh, this year as he did the previous two years. 100 targets 2017, 105 targets 2018, 97 targets 2019. Um, but his yards per reception has decreased. And, you know, that's not, I think, an indicator of his talent or anything like that. They're just not using him as much further downfield, I think. You know, becoming comfortable again with Ted Ginn kind of running deep, having Jared Cook there to kind of take some pressure off of that intermediate zone. Uh, I think they kind of want to use him a little bit more as a check down, a check down that they're willing to go to a lot, um, but use him a little bit more as a check down than they are kind of in previous years. And that's just kind of his his role in, in the passing game and the running game. You know, they just haven't run the ball as much this year. So uh, he's still, uh, you know, their leading rusher, right? But with 194 rush attempts last year and 171 this year, it's ju you're just not seeing as much. He has as many yards per carry as he did last year. So he's still kind of about as efficient by at least that measure. Um, and he has, you know, the same number of attempts per game. Um, but, you know, you just don't see, uh, you know, his involvement uh, as kind of the primary method. I, I think in 2018, it really felt like uh, and in 2017, it really felt like that the Saints were kind of a rush-first offense that happened to have Drew Brees. And now they're just like, well, you know, we've got Drew Brees. Might as well use him. Uh, and so they're kind of just pushing the ball a little bit further downfield. That is the Saints and, and the Saints preview. And um, I do want to ask you a little bit. So that was pretty heavy on why the Saints are so good and why they're a tough matchup. So after this, I want to ask you a little bit what the Vikings can do to counter some of that. Uh, but first, the Straight Cash podcast is brought to you by Roman. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash cash and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash cash to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash cash for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash cash. Okay, Arif, uh, I let's take a bit of a more positive approach now that we're halfway through this podcast and haven't even really talked about what the Vikings can do to try to slow down some of these things or what the Vikings can do to take advantage on offense. So let's try to build a blueprint for a playoff victory. I, I get the sense from fans that there's a lot of apathy, that there's not a lot of people really expecting the Vikings to go down to New Orleans and come away with a win. And, uh, you know, probably for good reason. We've outlined a lot of those reasons, but the Vikings are going to have a chance in this game. So let's come up with a way that they could potentially get a win and preferably one that doesn't require a miracle. So starting with <laughs> the defense, what can the defense do or what should the defense do if the Vikings are going to get a win? Like what are, it, it doesn't have to be as specific as they have to cover Michael Thomas this way, but when you're looking at the box score around 4.30 on Sunday, what will be some indications that the Vikings defense played well? Yeah, I, I think really quickly, uh, from a basic box score, you probably want to see a couple of sacks. Again, Brees has been avoiding sacks better than anyone else. So, you know, figure out kind of what his first read on a play is going to be, take that away, 
be able to get some pressure and force him to take some time. So I think a couple of sacks in the box scores are going to look pretty good. Obviously, an interception would be nice. Breeze, like you already mentioned, has very few interceptions this year, the fourth fewest. But the Vikings have done a really remarkable job intercepting quarterbacks who don't get intercepted. I mean, Anthony Harris, I think two of his interceptions have come against two of the least intercepted quarterbacks in this in the in the league this year. So, you know, why not another one? Um, I, I think that if they can craft kind of a turnover through the air, if they can take away the first read and force Brees to take some additional time in the pocket and, and get a pressure and get a sack, you know, I think that's going to be a really good indication that they were at least able to kind of slow uh, the offense down. They can also you know, just take a look at what the what the Atlanta Falcons did. It was such a weird game for them uh, to to be able to hold the Saints to like nine points. I'm not entirely sure how the Falcons <laughs> of all teams did it. Um, After the but, bye for the Saints too, which is crazy. Right, yeah. And and Breeze was already healthy. It wasn't like a comeback game for Breeze. He was already healthy. Uh, just, a, just a bizarre, bizarre game. But I mean, you could take kind of a look at the box score there and uh you know breeze was relatively efficient he wasn't you know remarkably uh, efficient but six sacks on that game i think was kind of a big indicator that they were able to find ways to scheme pressure you know they were able to force breeze uh you know kind of off of his uh, off of his targets i mean obviously you know michael thomas ended up with with a bunch of receptions but you know breeze wasn't able to to work through his first read and you know they were able to to generate uh, just a little bit extra on special teams, a little bit extra on their own offense, and just try to find ways uh, to keep up and keep them off balance. And I think one of the one of the things about that game is they played it kind of slow, so you didn't actually end up with a ton of possessions in that game. Because I think the more possessions they have, you know, the more the Saints would have an opportunity to find ways to kind of assert kind of who they are and, and have time to catch up. So uh, it might just it, I think the best opportunity for the Vikings is to have what looks like a low scoring game even if both offenses happen to be very efficient. And six sacks in that game, as you mentioned, is not something that Drew Brees is accustomed to because he is so good at avoiding sacks. When you look at the matchups for Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, can the Vikings get home with those two? I think Everson Griffin's play has probably dipped a little bit since that great start that he's had. Daniil Hunter is you know, still obviously uh, otherworldly in, in how good he is, but it, are, are the Saints good at avoiding sacks because of Drew Brees or because their offensive line is so good or some combination of the two? It's definitely a combination of the two. Um, you take a look at, you know, PFF grades for offensive linemen and the Saints have like three of the top, uh, you know, five people at, at their respective positions. They might have, I think, the top right tackle, the top three uh, left tackle. Eric McCoy, the rookie center, is playing pretty substantially better than the Vikings rookie center. Um, and is kind of, is, uh, I think, you know, you could call him maybe the best rookie center, maybe the best rookie interior offensive lineman in the league. Um, so, you know, they've been able to remember this to is get the a, positive section of the podcast, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, the, the issue here is that, you know, Toronto Armstead's a great left tackle. Uh, Ryan Ramchick's a great right tackle. The issue here, uh, is, you know, the matchups are difficult. Breeze has the ability to kind of control pressure rate by getting rid of the ball quickly, but, um, the way to kind of get around that is is what the Vikings have been doing a lot this season is to kind of show a lot of blitz looks and force tight ends to to block uh, defensive ends. Um, you know, that's worked out pretty well for Daniel Hunter, where they've been able to kind of scheme pressure one way or the other, force six or seven-man protections. And when you force that, you know, it's, it's easier to provide help to the outside than to the inside. 
And so they just kind of they kind of move down the chain and you end up with like tight ends, running backs blocking, you know, defensive ends and edge blitzers. Uh, and, and you can kind of just get around the fact that, hey, Ryan Ramchick's, you know, he hasn't allowed a sack this season. He doesn't have to allow a sack in order for Daniel Hunter to get one. You know, you can force, you know, a tight end into that role or you can force kind of, you know, difficult pressure situations. So it's certainly possible the Vikings have done a really great job against some top tier offensive tackles, uh, forcing pressure and getting sacks. I mean, you know, I would argue that, you know, Bakhtiari had a pretty good game, but they were still able to get a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers. You know, they've they've done a pretty decent job of finding ways to generate pressure against good offensive lines and against uh, quarterbacks that generally have been able to avoid sacks. But yeah, and, and I think that's kind of where uh, if the Vikings are able to slow the Saints down, this is kind of where it would happen, where they'd be able to find ways to scheme pressure and kind of attack the weak points on uh, on that on that Saints offensive line. Flipping to the offense as we uh, search in some way, shape, and form to find reasons for optimism and a reason perhaps why the Vikings will beat the Saints. Let's start, of course, uh, as you always must with a Vikings offense right now with the quarterback and, uh, of course, Kirk Cousins. And I think, you know, the offense is actually, I would argue, probably one of the reasons not to be super optimistic, even though the offense started as well as it did, even though for much of the season, the Vikings' offense was playing better than their defense was. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the poor, you know, taste left after the Green Bay game and and the struggles there, or it's the fact that Kirk Cousins hasn't had a two-touchdown game since the game at Seattle. He hasn't really had a great game since uh, the comeback against the Broncos that required a lot in the second half, uh, a game in which he was sacked five times, by the way. So what is Kirk Cousins going to need to do against the Saints? Does he, you know, can we see the Kirk Cousins that we saw against Philadelphia and at Detroit or, you know, in this last month, it, you know, I, I think it's it hasn't exactly inspired confidence. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, I, I would say it's more likely than not that the offense will perform. I think, you know, Green Bay has just had, you know, the Vikings number defensively. They've been able to take away play action, which is the bread and butter. Uh, something we saw in week two, no other team, you know, saw fit to replicate it. Uh, which and, is still strange again, to me. Yeah, it's very odd. I'm beginning to suspect that there's maybe like a reason for it. Like philosophically, teams are opposed to the idea of of not mm. crashing down on the run in play action and just kind of letting it happen. And if that's the case, just kind of uh, they should continue to try and abuse teams who who want to overfocus on the run. Um, but yeah, you know, Green Bay is the only team that has gone out of their way to kind of try and shut down play action. Seems like they're the only team that really wants to do that. So uh, I think the opportunities are there. The Saints defense has. Not been as good as it was two years ago. I thought, you know, every, you know, the past two years, they'd kind of revive in that sense because I thought, you know, hey, they've got a lot of talent. Eli Apple's actually playing kind of well this year. But, you know, against the Panthers, they had three injured defensive backs, one of them Eli Apple, uh, one of them safety uh, Marcus Williams, and one of them safety Von Bell. I don't know how many of them are expected to be healthy for this matchup um, in, the, in the coming week. I think Apple will be, but it kind of doesn't matter because they grabbed Janoris Jenkins from the Giants, who has played decently for them in the last two games. Uh, but I, I just think for the most part, um, that, that defense just hasn't been able to stop, you know, deep downfield threats. They just haven't been able to, uh, you know, contain, uh, in, in one area of the game or the other, it feels like if they shut down the passing game, you know, in a game, they'll, they'll kind of give up, you know, space in the running game and the Vikings are pretty adept at doing both, especially, I think we all expect Alvin Cook to be healthy. You reported that earlier that they do expect him to play. 
Uh, and so if that's if that's all the case, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of opportunities there for the Vikings offense to, to run. And I think that they'll run um, a lot better than they have this past month. I think that they'll pass a lot better than they have in this past month. Um, and I think that the defense uh, is just not really set up to, to stop what the Vikings do. I wouldn't be shocked if it ended up being kind of a shootout um, just because there's a lot of talent, especially if you just take a look at that list of names on the defense. But they just haven't been able to kind of stop. Um, uh, you know, games through the air. So uh, if you've got a capable quarterback, which the Vikings obviously do, th- there's definitely opportunities there. It's just that they, you know, it's hard to trust the Vikings in general. And then after seeing kind of the disappointments that they've had, um, it's it's very easy to get caught up in, in, in kind of the ways the Vikings can fail. But I think that there's a lot of opportunities for an offense here. Yeah, that to me is sort of the crazy thing because if you get the Vikings' offense of October when Kirk Cousins went on his roll, when he played well at New York, against Philadelphia, at Detroit, that stretch of 10 touchdown passes in three games, if you get that offense, I think the Vikings can go to New Orleans and get a win. If you get the offense of the last five weeks, I think you're probably, you know, almost definitely looking at a loss. Uh, but you mentioned Dalvin Cook, and all signs are pointing to him playing, which, you know, as far as running backs go, I don't know if there is a running back, you know, not named Christian McCaffrey that matters more to his team than Dalvin Cook does to the Vikings. I think we've seen that the last couple of weeks. So what, you know, with him back, I, I, we've talked a lot about whether running backs are replaceable and interchangeable. And, you know, for all of the things that Mike Boone did well against the Chicago Bears, he also, you know, had a couple of lapses and a couple of turnovers Getting Dalvin Cook back, does that open up the screen game? How important is that, I guess, to the Vikings' offense? The Vikings, as an offense, they really need to have responses, right? You know, they, they've got their bread and butter play action. They've got their kind of response, which is, you know, to, to normal answers, which is the screen game. And then they don't really have a ton of additional counters off of that, which is one of the issues that they had in Green Bay. Uh, and so getting Dalvin Cook back to be able to kind of open up their, their counterpunch options like in the screen game and just generally running the ball. You know, I think if if they were fully comfortable and Dalvin Cook was fully healthy, you know, he would have been able to run for a little bit more against the Packers who were willing to give up those cutback lanes. Um, you know, I, I think having him back to kind of respond to the, the normal responses to the way the Vikings play is pretty tremendous. I think that even just, even if it's the case that, you know, running backs are relatively replaceable and we've seen, like you said, a great game from Mike Boone, some great games from Alexander Madison, even if it's the case, the fact that the Vikings trust Dalvin Cook to be involved in much more of the offense and in in that can, in the counter response sort of section of the offense, you know, I think that says a lot. You know, if they're willing to kind of go to Cook and say, "Hey, you know, we trust you in the screen game. We know that they're going to, you know, create pressure, put pressure upfield, you know, blitz in this way, and we know that that's going to create some opportunities for you there." They might not trust Mike Boone, or they might not trust. Uh, Alexander Madison in the same way that they would trust Dalvin Cook. And so they, they'd be willing to call those plays. So even from the perspective of the way the offense is called, having Dalvin Cook back uh, might be, you know, a, a pretty significant difference, even though, you know, we've seen that the the running backs the Vikings have fielded this year have all found ways to produce. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, they're very comfortable with him running, you know, a big section of the offense. And, and that section of the offense is designed to kind of relieve pressure from you know the 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 staples of the offense whether it's you know play action passing 
or, you know, having, you know, only three eligible receivers running routes and, and kind of just taking a deep shot or whatever, um, you know, there's, there's, a there's a, a, you know, a way the offense is constructed, a way that they respond to threats, and then a way that they, you know, respond to those responses. And Dalvin Cook is an essential part of, of that package. And without him, uh, it, it really seems clear that the Vikings just don't feel like they have a lot of opportunities to, to make points. So, yeah, having, having Cook back and healthy and in an area where they can trust him, that could be huge. Yeah, I think that's really well said. The other part that I want to get into you with is the coaching, obviously. Uh, two coaches that I think, you know, just about everybody would say are top 10 coaches in the NFL. Mike Zimmer with the Vikings, Sean Payton with the Saints. Two coaches that are very familiar with each other and, and have, you know, in some ways similar backgrounds. Uh, they were on the same staff together in Dallas Cow- with the Dallas Cowboys under Bill Parcells. Sean Payton, of course, on the offensive side. Mike Zimmer on the defensive side. They went against each other two years ago in, in, of course, the Minneapolis Miracle game. And I think anybody who watched that game would say Mike Zimmer probably outcoached Sean Payton in the first half and, and Sean Payton probably outcoached Mike Zimmer in the second half. So uh, is there any, you know, what do you, I guess, see when you see a Sean Payton coach team, Arif? Um, and is there any, you know, sort of a special intrigue when Zimmer goes against Sean Payton, his old buddy? Um. Uh, as for the the second part of that question, uh, probably not. Zimmer's gone against it seems like a bunch of, of former associates over the past couple of years, and and that storyline just feels like it continues to kind of die down a little bit. Although uh, it's always kind of interesting to kind of hear anecdotes from their days in Dallas. Um, but you know, as as a as a coach, you know, Sean Payton uh, is a remarkably gifted offensive mind. I, I think that the way that they've kind of changed the nature of their offense from 2006 when they first kind of acquired, you know, both Peyton and Breeze to, uh, you know, 2009 when they decided kind of to have a high-flying passing attack and kind of push downfield uh, to, you know, what's happening, uh, what happened with Ingram and Kamara and then what's happening now. You know, they've kind of continued to modify that offense and it looks just a lot different um, no matter what, uh, you know, personnel that they have and no matter what kind of offensive head coach our offense, you know, that they, they're supposed to consistently have over the course of the past couple of years. And so uh, the adaptability of that offense, I think, is really remarkable. And it kind of reminds me, maybe to a lesser extent, the way that the Patriots offense has changed over the past decade or so, given kind of all of their changes in personnel and so on. So um, the fact that they've been adaptable, the fact that they've kind of adjusted to league trends, the fact that they've kind of figured out what parts of the league trends they want to take and take with them and what parts of the league trends they kind of want to resist and uh you know kind of zag while everyone's zigging you know that kind of thing um that is is kind of a big part of the way that they kind of design their offense and right now it's kind of this very pure west coast you know quick short passes very precision oriented timing oriented which is not really what it was in 2009 when it was a heavy passing attack so um there's a lot there for that offense that um you know kind of tells you how gifted a coach you know, Sean Payton is and kind of the whole organization all the way down, at least at the moment, you know, just seems to be staffed with people that that have a really good understanding of what they're doing. So it is really kind of difficult from a, a coaching matchup standpoint to kind of figure out kind of who has which advantages. They've both been in the league for a long time. They've both been very successful at what they do. And like you said, the last time they matched up, it was certainly a tale of two halves. And if it wasn't for that miracle, I think a lot of people would have been talking about, you know, the Vikings collapsing yet again in the second half. What's really interesting, though, is that Typically, Zimmer is a much better second half coach than a first half coach. Uh, and so we'll kind of see how that plays out when they when they play each other again. 
that might actually end up defining more of this matchup than the personnel does. As much as we've talked about kind of how overwhelming, you know, the, the Saints are, especially on offense, you know, Zimmer is just such a talented defensive uh, guy that it might end up being more of a coaching battle than it is a personnel battle. Yeah, well said. Thank you to Arif for joining from Vermont, my my home area in New England. And thank you to you, the listeners, uh, for listening to the Straight Cash podcast and subscribing to The Athletic. We'll have lots more to come uh, this week, both Marif and I and John Krasinski and, and our whole crew of writers in New Orleans covering the Saints. Uh, so stay tuned for all of that. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Straight Cash podcast.